DKS4 is powered by Meme Global, a video marketing and advertising solution for entrepreneurs. Hello and welcome to the Digital Kung Fu Show, a podcast and video cast for startup founders and entrepreneurs. Even if you're alone in your entrepreneurial journey, know that right now in your earbuds, you are joined by thousands of entrepreneurs across the world hustling today's markets. At Digital Kung Fu, we have one goal, to help entrepreneurs succeed in their ventures through information sharing, digitally connecting them with other entrepreneurs, and by dissecting and deconstructing the world's leading business minds right here on this show. Remember, you can view the full show notes on our website at digitalkungfu.co. Dot ZA or tweet this show using our handle at digital kung fu ZA or follow us on facebook.com slash digital kung fu ZA. One of the strong commonalities between all the entrepreneurs and CEOs that I've interviewed when it comes to entrepreneurship is this theme of persistence or can do or not giving up. And really what we're addressing here is the mindset of a successful entrepreneur. And there's no better guest in my mind that I can think of than my good friend, Bruce Music. He's running a seven-figure online business from the Dominican Republic, which basically is paradise. He really is living the online marketing dream. But what really separates Bruce from all the other guests is his life experiences and how they have shaped, formed, and refined his viewpoints on what it takes to be a successful entrepreneur today. This is one of my favorite interviews thus far, and I highly recommend that you stick around for the full hour. It is quite long, but we cover a lot of great things, which I'm sure will add a lot of value in terms of your own entrepreneurship journey, but also in terms of your own psychology behind what you're doing in terms of being an entrepreneur and founding startups and running a business that really makes an impact in the world. So without further ado, allow me to introduce you to Bruce Music. Okay. Okay. All right. So, um, okay, guys. Well, uh, welcome back to another cracking episode of the Digital Kung Fu Show. And, (laughs) (laughs) and, uh, yeah, today, um, we are going to explore, I think, which in my view is probably a subject which isn't really explored very much, uh, which is interesting, uh, because I think, um, it's such a, an important part of being an entrepreneur today. Um, anyhow, this, the subject is the psychology of entrepreneurship. So our guest in the hot seat today, um, <clears throat> amongst many things, is an acclaimed writer, a seminar leader and coach. Um, he is an internationally renowned um, uh, man helping entrepreneurs achieve greater success and has built a seven-figure business helping couples repair their romantic relationships and fall in love all over again. Um, I'd like to mention that, uh, you know, his passion for business and people is evident in his work, uh, which has been featured in international newspapers, TV, radio, the BBC, uh, London's Financial Times, CEO Magazine, and many, many others. Um, some of his achievements include uh, co-authoring the book Thank God I, which uh, shot to number one in the inspirational category on Amazon.com. Um, he has also been voted uh, second place in the Excel Foundation's 2009 Extraordinary Lives Awards, uh, which featured over 3,000 international entrepreneurs. So that's really quite something. Um, he's also a speaker at the TEDx Sin City event where he gave an enthralling talk 
on the secret that nobody wants to tell. Um, but I think most importantly of all, I'd like to say that he is a personal friend of mine and someone whose opinion I value greatly in matters of life and business. So allow oh, me. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm the one that's in. Uh, I'm grateful to have you here, pal. Um, but uh, anyhow, so his name is Bruce Music. Bruce, thanks, pal. And uh, great to have you in the hot seat today. Yeah, I'm excited. It's always weird hearing people talk about me and what I've done, especially when like some of the stuff that I've done was like a few years ago and it feels like it was a different lifetime. But thank you for the glowing intro. You're very welcome, man. Um, yeah, so for those of you who are probably looking at uh, the video and, and probably seeing what the hell is that bloody picture in the back kind of looks like a, an island. It's skew. <laughs> and it's skew. <laughs> Should have seen the setup. It was hilarious. Um, but uh, anyway, Bruce is actually obviously a South African guy. Um, and he's now living in pretty much paradise, I guess, uh, in the Dominican Republic. Uh, Bruce, maybe give us a bit of a pan shot of, uh, of where you are there, pal. Yeah, so it's, uh, it's horrible. Isn't See, it? the wind's blowing. I'm going kite surfing shortly. Yeah, I'm sure it's you are. Howling up. <laughs> and so we'll pick up on a few things, especially the kite surfing and how we wind up in the, in the Dominican Republic in a second. But to start with, I'd like to, <clears throat> um, uh, kind of, um, kick off by saying that, you know, Bruce and I go way back to 2006, which Bruce is amazing because that's actually 10 years ago now, pretty much. We are a 10 year anniversary, man. I oh, know. It's crazy. There we go. So, um, I, of course, <laughs> count myself very lucky to know you very well. Um, but for our viewers who don't know much about you, I'd like to start by, um, perhaps setting a scenario. So if we met for the first time at say a dinner party and you only had 60 seconds to tell me who you are and what you do, what would you say? It depends how pretty you are. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Tick box. <laughs> don't, don't, don't blush, man. These <laughs> cheeks okay, are naturally well, rosy. <laughs> the, the, the thing I usually say is to help couples fix their troubled relationships um, because that's what I do now. That feels like it's my, my purpose, my gift. Um, if they dig a little deeper, I will tell them that my greatest gift is teaching. I'm a teacher mm. and my passion is teaching and I, I feel like that's my calling in life. And I've taught tons of different things over the years from entrepreneurship to music, to uh, relationships, to psychology. And I have having had three careers. My first career was as a musician. Um, ended up writing a number one hit song back in South Africa in the day, which isn't saying much because it wasn't that hard to write a number one hit song in South Africa back in the day because there wasn't a lot of competition, but I ran a recording studio, guitar player, um, did that for about 10 years. Then I became a trainer and coach leading live seminars, helping people work with the law of attraction when I was into that and helping people with success in entrepreneurship as I was building my own businesses and learning uh, the ropes and falling on my face. And I thought I'd share my lessons with others and uh, loved doing that. And then had a midlife crisis. I think my 60 seconds are almost up and moved to the Caribbean and, uh, <laughs> and then had my heart broken. And uh, decided I needed to learn about relationships and got qualified uh, to work with couples in relationships and uh, been doing that for the last five years. So Yeah, which is, yeah. A, which is a fascinating journey, right? I mean, to have done all those different things and, and 
um, you know, your, your accolades speak for themselves, you know, so as part of that entire journey and, uh, you know, I, I want to pick up on, you know, when you, when you kind of had your heartbreak and I guess like we all have, I suppose, as we, as we grow older and, and we kind of experience the ups and downs of life. Um, maybe let's pick up on that. Um, it was a question I was going to ask you later, but how did, was that the event that kind of drove you to where you are today in business? Stay with us. We'll be right back. Hey there. I know being an entrepreneur can be a very lonely experience. You sometimes get stuck, don't you? Well, if you're like me, being stuck sucks. But what if you could access the minds of over 850 CEOs who have built companies generating billions of dollars in revenue and access all of that knowledge in a fraction of a second? Well, the good news is you can literally do that today. What my team have built is Matt Brown AI. It is trained on all the interviews, over 850 of them that I've done to date, all my books, all the knowledge capital that has been generated over the last 10 years right here on the Matt Brown Show. And you can get access to all of that right now for free. So how do you get access to this? Well, head on over to mattbrownshow.com and at the top, you'll see community. Hit that link, sign up. It's absolutely free and you'll be given instant access to Matt Brown AI and a community of over 100,000 subscribers. No. Um, well, maybe yes. I mean, I, fa- I failed a lot in business. This is kind of generally an entrepreneurship topic of this interview, so I'm going to kind of focus it there. I mean, I've fallen on my face a few times. I don't really think of it as failing. More as kind of like, okay, that didn't work. Uh, adjust course. Okay, that didn't work. Try something else kind of thing. Mm. So a lot of things haven't worked. And um, the previous businesses I built – prepared me for this last business. So this last business kind of took off really quickly because of the mistakes I'd made in the previous business or the lessons I'd learned in the previous business. And so in one sense, yes, this is the business which has been most successful for me and the one I'm enjoying the most. Um, But it wouldn't be there if I hadn't spent the last, you know, Mm. 15 years learning the, the ropes. And I failed in this business too. It's not to say like, you know, mm. all the time I, I, I learn and fall on my face. But that's the way I think of it. Okay. I don't know if that answers your question. No, it does. It does. Um, I think, you know, in all the interviews that I've done, you know, we, all the entrepreneurs and myself, you know, we always talk about failing forward and how, yeah. and how failing is actually often the greatest gift that you can actually ever get in entrepreneurship. Because <clears throat> to quote the words of Wayne Levine, he said, you have to love the pain. And, um, and he said that in his view is also the biggest reason why entrepreneurs fail today. Um, but you know, Brisa, if I'm honest with you, you know, when I, um, look back at your entrepreneurship journey, I guess, um, I still feel that you have achieved success after success. Yes, of course, in order to succeed in anything, there will be kind of iterations of failure along the way. Um, but I think, you know, failing is inevitable. But I want to define success. Success. Okay. Cool. Okay. I'm, I'm going to interrupt your question. No, go for it. Yeah, sure. I think it's really critical to define success if you want to be, if you want to feel successful. Mm. So if your version of success equals, you know, a billion dollars, you're probably never going to feel successful. True. Because you'll probably never hit a billion dollars. Hate to say it, like you know, no, true. I, don't know, I mean, one, one, one in a, a million people hit a billion dollars. Yeah. Um, or something like that. I don't know what it is. So you've got to have a more measurable short-term 
uh, way of ranking uh, success. And for me, success is waking up every day and looking forward to the day and uh, surrounding myself with people that I love and being healthy to do the things that I enjoy doing. Mm. And that for me is success. In terms of financial success, I have that very clearly defined too. And that is, I can pretty much do anything I want to do when I want to do it. Mm-hmm. Like not all the time, but but pretty much. Mm-hmm. Um, so I live on a beach on an island. That's success for me. Like I've always wanted to do that. I have an amazing relationship with an incredible woman. That's success for me. It's really important for me to have a great relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, I have great friends like you that I can talk to and shoot the shit with and who really get me. Mm-hmm. And so I can wake up feeling successful because for me, at one point in my life, maybe 15 years ago, I wanted to be a billionaire. I remember writing on that goal, one day I'll be a billionaire. Mm. As I've grown older, I'm 42 now, uh, almost 43 uh, in a few weeks, I'm realizing, well, I mean, those goals have changed completely. Like w- what I want is to give my gift and to make a difference and uh, leave a legacy, not for me, not because I want to be known and leave a legacy, but because I really just feel moved to that's I'm on purpose. Like this is why I'm on the planet. And if I don't do what I was born to do, I'd have wasted my entire life. Mm -hmm. Um, And I I didn't always have that perspective when I was struggling to build businesses and building my first businesses. um, I just wanted to make a million bucks. (laughs) 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 Uh, Yeah, no, that's, I think we go through stages. There's a, there's a development. If you study developmental psychology, there's a developmental sequence to, to, to how our worldview changes. It's uh, one, any of you who are interested can look up spiral dynamics. It's a, yeah. a part of developmental psychology. And, you know, at one point in your life, um, in their fifth stage of their model, that's all we're focused on is success. At the sixth mm-hmm. stage, we're focused on uh, kind of community, giving back, uh, equality, conservation, making sure we don't destroy the planet, that kind of thing. And at the seventh stage, you focus on uh, your purpose and your gift and really kind of your life becomes about giving your gift to the world. Mm. And so for me, understanding the stages of development has helped me make sense of where I'm at and make wherever I'm at. Okay. So if you want a billion dollars, that's totally okay. You're probably in the fifth stage. And, uh, if you're motivated by, you know, financial success and achievement, that's totally great. Mm. And you can go and learn from people at the same stage as you mm. and, it'll be a lot easier than trying to take the advice of somebody who's at a different stage and who sees the world in a completely different way. But mm. I kind of now veered off course. So let's no. bring it back. No, no, no. What I think you, 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 you've totally hit it onto um, something I wanted to touch on with you, which is this whole notion of being of service. So one of the things, um, or one of the questions actually that I ask all the time is, you know, um, what's your why as an entrepreneur and what gets you out of bed in the morning? And as I've interviewed, you know, more and more sort of entrepreneurs, one of the things that really stands out above all else is this commonality in their response, which is around the theme of creating value in the world and making a dent in the world, you know, being of service for others. And, um, you know, in my entrepreneurial journey, I know what makes me happy the most. And, like to your point around spiral dynamics, I, I often was chasing a, a kind of a numeric value. You know, if I have X number of, of rands in my bank account, then I'll be successful. But as I've grown older and as I've experienced that, you know, having money and losing money, you actually realize that it's just a fucking number. Um, and when you um, look at, you know, people who I suppose all entrepreneurs globally point to, you know, 
uh, Warren Buffett. Okay, maybe he's not an entrepreneur necessarily, but he's a financial um, investor. Uh, the CEO of Alan Gray down here. I mean, all these guys are giving away their entire net worth to charitable causes or to some form of you know, uh, institution where it's about contribution to society and the world. And so for me, I think this, 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 um, as an entrepreneur and as entrepreneur, there's a sexy woman in the background. That's very distracting. Who, where? Oh, it's my wife. (laughs) 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 You have to bring that up. (laughs) Yes, I'm married. (laughs) I'm just not getting undressed in the bed. <laughs> that would be distracting. Focus, focus, uh-huh. guys. Focus, focus. Sorry, focus. <laughs> <laughs> now we are, of course. <laughs> okay, sorry. But, um, but I want to go back to you. And, you know, one of the things, again, going back to uh, your entrepreneurship journey is um, your passion for people. It's, it's, you know, regardless of what you've done, you, you've always had a very, very strong sense of self and your um your your place in the world as it relates to being of service to others. So I wanted to ask you: Is that a trait that you um that you developed through your own life and business experiences, or was it passed down to you from, say, your father, your mom, or or your family or your environment? I don't think either. I think it was um it came out of being a very awkward teenager. Who I was a geeky nerd. I was like as skinny as a rake with big, thick, like John Lennon glasses. I was uh, the misfit at school. And uh, I remember how awkward I felt and how painful that was for me growing up. Mm. And I think what that gave me was an empathy for others. And I, I felt so misunderstood my whole life that I, I, I think, I'm guessing, I became curious about other people and I really wanted to understand others. And I wanted to give other people the gift of feeling understood. Like I wanted them to know they were normal, they were accepted just the way that they are and loved just the way that they were and they were welcome because I never felt that way as a kid. So I think I was hypersensitive to not feeling that way. And then I could, you know, I was hypersensitive to, to other people's experiences. I, you know, when I saw somebody feeling awkward, I'd go for the underdog and go and like make them feel better because I knew what it felt like. Mm. I'm also an extrovert and extroverts by definition um, get energized being around people. So I, it's easier for me to be around people. I've become far less extroverted in my uh, middle age. Um, and uh, <laughs> I, uh, and a couple of gray hairs. Yeah. 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 My head is still kind of, okay. But, uh, <laughs> I'm messing about but yeah, I think I, I think it was it came from, and that's why I got interested in psychology. Is because as a kid, I figured when I was thirteen years old, I uh, my stepbrother, my stepsister were living in the house with us, and we had a, uh, a conflicted relationship at the time. And I remember being an angry young teenager, and this concerned my parents, and they took me to a child psychologist. And I didn't know what psychologists were at the time. I just knew they were for crazy people. And so I walked out of an hour meeting with a psychologist having concluded that I was crazy and that therefore might be dangerous and should fix myself before I hurt someone. That's literally the sequence that went to my mind. And and for about five years, that was the belief system that was in the back of my mind. Mm. So that got me interested in psychology and studying psychology. So at 16, I went and attended a seminar by a South African psychologist uh, or Canadian psychologist in South Africa called uh, Mary Ovenstone. 
And uh, she was my first big mentor. Um, and one of the secrets to my success, maybe this is another question uh, for later, has always been getting great mentors. And I attended one of her weekend workshops. It was like a psychology workshop. And I was so blown away by it. I uh, asked her if I could come back and kind of assist for free and offer my services for free, add value. You're talking about adding value. Mm-hmm. And she saw some potential. And, uh, you know, a year and a half later or so, she was letting me co-facilitate psychology workshops with her. So I was sitting next to her and she was kind of like the teacher and I was like the student teaching mm. these like 50, 60 year olds about how to, you know, heal their childhood wounds. And I'm like 17. Um, and, uh, <laughs> blazing a trail, <laughs> blazing a tra- but it all came out of my pain. And I think many of our greatest creations come out of our pain. Mm. And I think often the journey of becoming an entrepreneur is the journey of uh, healing yourself. It's an unconscious drive to heal yourself. And we often, the things that we want to add value to the world, uh, uh, the ways that we add value to the world are often uh, the ways we would wish somebody had added value to us. Um, not always, but but often. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think adding value is, it's interesting that you notice that all the successful people you've interview, interviewed are all interested in adding value because mm. that's like on spiral dynamics, more like world six and world seven. Mm. And I remember when I was in world five, I really struggled because my focus wasn't on adding value. It was on making money. Mm. So I wasn't focusing on giving and on, on, on my customer. I was focused on me mm. and surviving. And that's also totally normal when you're in survival, when yep. you can't pay the bills. Mm. Um, it's, uh, it's a necessity. Know, you, you can focus necessity like i have to focus on me but the counterintuitive move is that when you focus on others they focus on you and everything turns out you know there's that old saying you know if you give uh enough other people what they want you'll get what you want you know the other saying is every billionaire is surrounded by a thousand millionaires that he's helped get to that he's helped and they've helped him get to billion. Cool, mate. Listen, um, I want to, you know, we've mentioned life experiences and how that kind of, you know, transforms your mindset and how that, you know, moves through different kind of stages, I guess, in in the spiral dynamics model, I guess. So speaking of life experiences, I want to, and I'm sure you get this all the time. I suppose it's the one thing that, you know, um, any interviewer, you've been interviewed countless times, um, but it's the one thing that everybody picks up on. And when I first met you, it was this um, experience that you had where you lived, uh, it was back in 2002, but you lived in a, a black township in uh, Guguletu in, in Cape Town. Uh, the black township was 100,000 strong at the time and you were the only white male. And I think uh, you describe it as your kind of ghetto liberation. So I'd like to kind of, you know, get your your answer on, on two things here, Bruce. Um, firstly, can you walk us through um, how that came about <laughs> and uh, secondly, um, to what extent did that incredibly unique experience shift the course of your life, both in a personal and in business sense? Mm. Sure. So it came about because I was sitting in the Landmark Advanced course, which everybody should do at some point in their life, landmarkeducation.com. Um, and the course leader was basically kicking my ass coaching me. And he asked me, Bruce, how many black friends do you have? And this was kind of like 2002. 
apartheid has ended, we're starting to get integrated, but we're not really. We're pretending that we are. And this course leader like had it in. Like there's a hundred white people in Roma and ten token black people who had been sponsored into the course because they couldn't afford the, the tuition fees. And so you could see the contrast between white and black, you know, very clearly. And I kind of scanned my mind quickly and then I lied to him and said uh, two, because I couldn't think of one black friend that I had who was really like a close friend. And uh, so he said, you mean to say out of like 48 million people in this country, you only know two of them? Mm. And I was like, oh, yeah, that was kind of embarrassing. And he said, well, consider that if you, you're living in an environment where you don't even feel like you belong. And I was dealing with a whole lot of personal stuff at the time. And he, and he basically said the most out of the, like he gave, he gave me a curveball that didn't make sense at the time. He said, I'll tell you what, you get to know your community and all your problems will be sorted out. And A plus B did not equal C in my mind. I was like, how is getting to know my community going to solve my problems? But this guy was clearly a lot wiser than I was. And um, being one for challenge, <laughs> I, I totally turned him down. I was like, you've got to be free. <laughs> and I went back and I sat in my, in my chair feeling ashamed because I'd kind of uh, turned down the challenge and feeling small and feeling embarrassed that I didn't have any black friends and just like even more confused. And I slept in it and I woke up the next morning and the universe had a different thing in store for me. My uh, landlady, um, I was living in this massive mansion at the time, looking after it for a very, very wealthy lady. And uh, I kind of got the whole mansion to myself as long as I fed the dogs whenever she was away. She came to me the next morning and she said, I'm selling the place. I'm out of here. Um, I'm going to give you a month's notice. What? So um, I uh, suddenly had to find myself a new place to stay. I was like, yesterday I'm challenged to go live with black people. Today, the universe is kicking me out of my home. Uh, I think maybe I should do this thing. Maybe that's a sign. So mm -hmm. I went back and uh, to the seminar that day and I said, I'm going to do this thing. And I announced it in front of 500 people um, at, the, at the evening session of the, of the program. They all cheered and gave me a big round of applause. Was like, oh crap, now I have to do it. <laughs> and, uh, but that's how I've done a lot of things in my life is like announce them before I've done them because then I know uh, I'll get them done. <laughs> and uh, a week later, I was living in Guguletu. And wow. I moved in and, uh, I mean, you can watch the story on my TEDx talk. If you just type my name into uh, Google and put TEDx afterwards, the talk will come up. Mm. Um, so I won't tell the whole story now, but I spent six months living as the only white guy there and it was a life-changing experience. And I went there to face my fear of black people. Having grown up in apartheid South Africa, I think all of us whites at some point have, have had scary experiences with black people. Um, and I realized that I wasn't able to fully be myself with my community and that wasn't cool. So I went and lived there and within a day, like uh, 30 years of racial conditioning, had well, I don't know, 26 years, I think 26 at the time, 27, had disappeared um, by the end of the day. Yeah. And uh, it's a great story. And I highly recommend you go watch the TEDx talk. Um, mm -hmm. it's a, I'm, I even get moved watching it and remembering it sometimes. Yeah. Um, cool. Listen, I want to... Sorry, Karen. I was just going to answer your second question, which is how it impacted... My view on life, I'm not sure. I think I certainly discovered that the only difference between the people living in poverty and myself was that they all wanted success but weren't prepared to do anything about it. And that was the reason being, I reckon, is because they'd never had any role models and they'd never had any education and apartheid had deprived them of all the essential components, particularly education, to success. And in our country... You know, white people drove Mercedes-Benz. Colored people drove Toyota Corollas with bullet holes in them. 
and black people caught taxis, black taxis. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was kind of, if you're a black person growing up in South Africa, there weren't a whole lot of role models probably to, mm-hmm. so, you know, I started saying to some people come and beg money from me all the time. I don't actually tell the story in the TED Talks, so I'll tell this one quickly. They would come and say, umlungu, umlungu, which means whitey, whitey, give me some money. And for the first week I felt bad and I'd give them like 50 cents each. And then before I knew it, like the, the rumor mill had spread that the new bank had just like moved into town. And so my door was like, every five minutes I was knocking my door, somebody begging for money. And I, at the, by the end of the first week, I realized, okay, this is not sustainable. And I'm not making a difference. I'm just making them all dependent on me and I'm an idiot. Mm. So I decided I was going to stop doing that. But that didn't feel right either because I wanted to contribute something living in this community. So I said, tell you what. Would you like to make some of your own money? I'll teach you how. And they were like, yes, yes, boss, yes, boss. There was still that mentality of I'm the boss. Mm-hmm. Yes, boss. And um, so I said, okay, come to my house on Saturday. And by the way, my name's Bruce, not boss. Um, and I said this to like 300 people over the course of my six months there. And in the six months, only one ever turned up. What? And like, I. Only one ever showed up for my entrepreneurial lessons. And he did really well. His name was Patrick Monachetzi, and he wanted to fix computers and open a computer shop. And I emailed all my friends, got all of them to like donate all their old computers. And he took all the broken pieces of computers and put them together and made computers that worked and sold them. And like he wow. was really, he had the entrepreneurial vibe. He wasn't willing to be a victim. Mm. And, uh, you know, he made it work. Mm. And it really got me thinking that most of success is, I mean, all of us pretty much, is up here, a little bit of hard work, <laughs> but it's all the mental game, which kind of involves not stopping, it was not holding yourself back, you know, and, and just going forward. And I noticed that the people who are successful at what they do really believe in what they're doing and they love it and they don't hold themselves back. They just, they don't have those belief systems. Mm. That's a great story. And thanks for sharing um, something which I don't think, you know, is pr- probably out there in the public domain. And um, yeah, I mean, I guess a lot of what I kind of, I was just thinking the whole time you were, describing that story was you know around how we define success and you know it's it's it doesn't need to be a big thing it can be a small thing that you can do every day to be successful um and i think it's up to each individual to make a call around you know what it means to be successful to them to your point you mentioned that not every everyone talks a game but they're not prepared to back it up um and i think that's a a a great example and a simple example of how you have been successful uh, or at least that's my opinion anyway, in a way that um, was small um, and that you challenged your viewpoints on the world and your place in it, you know? Well, it wasn't small for me. It was the biggest thing I'd ever done in my entire sure, life. No, I get that. Part. It was yeah. the scariest thing. I was convinced I was going to die and I was, my parents thought I was crazy and mm. all my friends were like, you're a lunatic. But to your point, I mean, the TEDx talk was equally scary because suddenly I was going to go up in front of you know, we've now got two million, almost two million people have seen the thing. Yeah. And I, I was like, if I mess this up for the rest of my life, that's going to be on the internet, unable to be able to take it down. Yeah. It was a big risk. And then like, I've got to, you know, I'm going up there and giving a TEDx talk. I can't just like, I, you know, say something that's not meaningful. I got to blow people away. Yeah. It, it was a lot of pressure. Yeah. And initially I wanted to quit just like I wanted to quit with the, with the Google Etsy thing, moving to the, to the township. But I've now noticed that I've learned how to distinguish between things that I don't want to do because I'm afraid and I really should be doing them because they're good for me Mm. and things that I don't want to do because they're not good for me. They're not good for me to do. Mm. And they feel subtly different. The fear, the the former one comes with an excitement mixing. There's the fear, but there's also the excitement and the promise of something that I really want to do that I know feels good. The other one is like a, 
Ugh, I'm just doing this for money and I don't want to do it and it feels yucky and I'm dreading it. So the other one comes with a dread. Mm. And that was such a powerful distinction for me, understanding the difference between those two, because then I started, instead of, you know, when, when scary things came up, I would ask myself, is this something that serves me and I really should be doing? Or is this something that my gut is telling me, run for your life, do not touch this thing? Mm. And so I started to say yes to the scary things that feel exciting um, and that kind of make me excited. And that's just my strategy. I, I'm such a firm student. I'm such a student of personality typing. I don't believe one size fits all. I think everybody has a different strategy. And maybe we get to talk about, about wealth dynamics later on. Mm. I want to share that a little bit um, too, sure. because I think it's a fascinating strategy for entrepreneurs too. Okay, awesome. Um, we keep talking about this TED Talk of yours, right? <laughs> and huh. So I'm at this stage, guys probably saying like, what the fuck is this TED Talk all about? Two million views uh, and so on. Um, you know, I had a look at it, at it again today. Um, and for me, it was probably one of the most raw, open and honest TED Talks I've ever seen. And I mean that honestly. Um, can you describe for us, you know, the overall sentiment and message of that talk? Yeah, the general idea, if you don't click here and go there now and watch it, <laughs> is uh, I'm a marketer. <laughs> I will I'll post the link below uh, the, the, the um, so interview, guys. So, yeah. Put one of those overlays on top of the YouTube video and say click here. No, that'll take them away from the interview. Don't do that. Okay. So, um, uh, delete all that. Edit that out. <laughs> no. So, the essence of the talk was um, uh, that our secrets are the things that kill our aliveness the most. And when I was in that landmark advanced course that I was telling you about earlier that got me to go get to, I was, I'd been suffering from depression and I had everything that I could have possibly hoped for in my musical career. I'd just written a number one hit song. I was running a successful recording studio and uh, I was still depressed. And I realized that one of the things I was hiding was that I was actually secretly afraid of black people. I was a racist essentially. And so this talk is my journey of, healing my fear of black people. But that's just the story that teaches the message that we're all hiding something. And the things that we hide own us in that they control us. And when we hide what, who we are and the things that we've done and how we feel, we effectively have to lie to the world and pretend that we're someone that we're not. We have to present a mask to the world that we wear like close to our face I'll be like, hi, I'm Bruce. I'm the motivational speaker guy. I'm cheating with my wife, but I won't tell you that. Um, I'll just pretend everything's okay. And, uh, you know, we, we present this mask to the world and then we can't be ourselves. And we wonder why we get depressed. And so I, I believe so much of uh, the world's depression is not going to be cured by another antidepressant. It's going to be cured by telling the truth. And telling the truth is hard about what you've done, how you feel. And the first thing people say is, oh, I don't want to hurt people. Or I don't know if it'll make, you know, it'll just make things worse. And I'm like, yeah, probably will make things worse in the beginning. But then things will get a lot better because you'll be able to be yourself. Instead of going through life, having to pretend that you're someone you're not, which is absolutely exhausting. It takes so many it takes so much resource. Yeah. Um, it takes energy, psychological energy, physical energy, psychic energy, and um, to maintain that facade. And then people never get to really know you. And then when they find out who you really are, they're pissed because you lied to them. It's just it's disastrous. Mm. So this talk is about how to really be happy. Mm. And it's my version of how to be happy. And more than happy, how to feel alive, how to wake up every morning with you know, a firecracker under your pillow. You're so excited. like You're like, woohoo! I am alive. Um, I can't wait to get up. And I didn't feel like that for a long time. For a long time, I was very depressed. 
Mm-hmm. And that shifted after Google Ad 2. Um, I started telling the truth. Amazing. And we made it. Awesome, mate. That's um, such a nugget of gold. Well, uh, thank you very much for sharing. Um, uh, I want to share. You, by the way. You ask good questions. Oh, thanks, man. <laughs> <laughs> I try. <laughs> um, so, speaking of questions, um, there's an old saying that, you know, you're, you're known by the company you keep. And if anyone takes the time to read through your blog, it seems that you, you, you run in highly esteemed circles. So for example, you know, there's Richard Branson, there's Robin Banks, there's John Martini, Lisa Nichols, uh, but to name a few. Um, so perhaps you can give us some insight into what is, what has, or who has rather, has been uh, you know, a major influence on you in terms of your uh, entre- entrepreneurial journey to date. Mm. So let me just clarify, like Richard Branson and I aren't like buddies. Like I spent but three days be. with him. He would you give, can be. Yeah, I mean, like, you know, he came down to Cabarete, where I live, this little town in the Dominican Republic. He's a kite surfer. Uh, my girlfriend at the time was his agent, and uh, so she ended up introducing me. I ended up spending dinner with him and then kite surfing with him over the coming days. And he came back six months later. What most impressed me about Richard Branson, he came back six months later. It was his son's birthday and he flew his son over here for a birthday party. And he bumped into me and he said, oh, hi, Bruce. Couldn't believe the guy remembered my name. Not because I was memorable, but just because that's who he is. Like, yeah. he's such an awesome dude. He actually remembered my name. Like, I, it, like straight off his tongue, I couldn't believe it. I was like, uh, if, if, if the role's been reversed, I don't know if I'd have remembered his name. Yeah. Um, anyway, <laughs> I love it. It's very cool. Um, so the biggest influence in my life has been a man by the name of Werner Earhart. Um, he created this training I was telling you about earlier called the Landmark Forum. And uh, I spent two years as his uh, apprentice. Uh, working for him and uh, his personal uh, aide and assistant. Mm. And he was my biggest influence. Uh, he basically turned me, or I guess, transformed me from being a boy into a man mm. and um, taught me many, many gifts. Uh, and I think, like I was kind of hinting at earlier, I, I pretty much owe any success that I've had to my company that I hang around with, to the people I've chosen. And if I have a gift... It's that I'm very pragmatic. I'm very kind of um, realistic in my judgments of what's possible. I'm not like, I'm a crazy dreamer, but I don't like go for pipe dreams. And I attract people. I tend to attract other people who like that, who are grounded. And all my mentors have been grounded. They've all been successful. They've all been hugely successful. And I found them all by serving them. And... I think if you don't have mentors in your life, you're probably never really going to achieve your, your full potential because nobody can figure it out on their own. You have to have people done, walk the path before you. Mm-hmm. And the best way to find mentors is to work them for free, just give, your, give them your time, serve them for free. Mm-hmm. And I've done that in every case. It, it seemed to be just kind of like an unconscious thing. I was like, I want to learn from this guy. Mm-hmm. He's never going to pay me. I don't know if I can even offer him. So I'm just going to ask, dude, can I work for you for free? Like, I'll do anything you want. Like, that's how it happened in the music industry for me. That's how I, I kind of learned the ropes. I was making tea uh, and coffee for the superstars. I was getting paid two pounds an hour in London, but I was spending 12 hours a day with U2, with Michael Hutchins, with Prince, with Depeche Mode, with like all these incredible artists. 
but I was earning no money. I did this for like an entire year. But what I learned was priceless. Yeah. Because uh, I you know, basically worked for free. And um, mm. I think it's the best things you can do. <clears throat> Even with this couples business, I, I spent my first uh, six months while I was training just helping couples for free. I just needed as much experience as possible. I knew I was a beginner in the beginning. Mm. And uh, now I'm really good. And I, I'm, I'm worth what I charge. And I wouldn't have gotten good if I tried to charge people at the gate because nobody would have hired. And oh, I just graduated from couples counseling school last week. Can I help you save your marriage? They'd be like, uh, "No, next one." Um, <laughs> so I had to offer my my services for free, and you know, then I kind of got I got my own confidence up, and I got to learn and understand. And yeah. um, the other trick is to throw yourself in the deep end. That's this doesn't work for everybody. I have a certain level of comfort with risk, calculated mm. risk. Mm. So with my couples program, I, when I launched it, I didn't know whether or not it would work. And I hadn't even created it when I launched it. And I sold 20 places in my first couples program before I had a couples program to sell. Uh, I wrote all the marketing and the sales pages. And then I was forced to make it. And this was a big endeavor. This was like a three-month process of making, you know, 11 hours worth of videos, editing them, building web pages, membership sites, like, you know, like planning this whole thing out, writing video scripts. It was a labor of love. Yeah. And it was a seven-week program. Still is a seven-week program. It's my most popular selling product. Okay. And uh, every week, I was only one week ahead of my students. So I made sure. the first week's videos and said, here you go, week one of the course. We're off to the races. And then I scrambled for the next week, filming the second video, writing the, the second week's videos, writing the scripts. <laughs> da, da, da. Uh, I mean, I had the whole thing conceptualized in my head. But... It wasn't in reality. And for three months, that's all I did every week. I woke up in the morning. On Monday, I wrote scripts. On Tuesday, I edited scripts. On Wednesday, I filmed the videos. On Thursday, I filmed the videos. On Friday, I edited the videos and uploaded them to the website. And on Saturday, I sent them an email saying, the videos on the website, week two's begun. And I did that for like, it was chaos. Um, but I got the program. And, uh, you know, the program's made me hundreds of thousands of dollars now. Um, as a result, and I'm really proud of it. It's one of the best things I've ever done. Right. And I same thing with Googleetto. I stood up in 500 people. I said, "I'm going to move to the to the ghetto." Mm -hmm. um, and I think when you can declare your intentions in public, because we don't want to look like idiots, we're, it, it's such an amazing motivation, and it's terrifying. And yeah. I think part of being a, an entrepreneur is is to get comfortable with the uncertainty mm. and uh, not everybody is willing to do that so not everybody's an entrepreneur some people just want safety and they go and get a secure job and that's that that's fine for them mm. I just could never do that like the fear of going back and having a boss again was so huge in the back of my mind I couldn't ever quit because I was like my only option if I quit it was getting a a job and I was like oh my god that's that's yeah. worse than hell that's yeah. like a life sentence <laughs> of just torture never have a job I'm unemployable um, <laughs> that's, that's literally verbatim what uh, Mike Stockport said to me the other day he's CEO yeah, of, um, of Cerebra uh, Communications they're basically a social media agency and he literally said the exact same thing he said <laughs> the reason the reason why he started Cerebra was because he was unemployable <laughs> funny that eh? it's, uh, it's amazing yeah. like the more people more entrepreneurs like you I speak to the more there's, there are these threads that tie them all together. I might actually write a book after I've interviewed. My five, problem was, Matt, I think so. you should write the book. Like that's yeah. a great book to write. Yeah. Just yeah. To, to tail in on that thought before I forget, my problem was that I knew I was smart, not book smart. Like, you know, I was getting C's at, 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 in high school. Like I wasn't like an A student. I was a C student. 
But I knew I was smart. I knew I had great ideas. But nobody else did. Nobody else thought I was smart. When I was 17, I went to Scotland and spent a year living in Scotland on my own. And I just graduated from high school and I wanted to get a job. And I ended up washing dishes in a needle factory with women who were proudly wearing 60 years of service on their, on their badge <laughs> for like two pounds 50 an hour. And I realized nobody understood my potential and my potential meant nothing. And that if I got a job, I would just be being told what to do. And my potential would probably never be realized. And it was interesting because I had no value to add. Nobody could see my value. I was just out of high school. I had no value. I'd, and I hadn't even learned about creating value yet. Mm. And that's what got me terrified was having that experience of washing dishes mm. for a living and going, I cannot do this for the rest of my life. I, I'm, I'm, I, I will have failed as a human being. I'm better than this. Mm. And so I kind of like felt like the only option I had was I better figure out how to do it on my own. Yeah, yeah, mm. yeah. It's true. Um, <clears throat> what you say, I mean, it takes – I remember, do you remember Damien from London? Damien Sen. Yeah, Damien Sen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and when he was helping me set up a business um, many, many years ago when I was living in London, you know, I, he said to me something, you know, which I'll, I'll always remember. He says, when you start a business, you basically have two choices, right? Well, let me, let me start again. He said that, he used an analogy to describe what it's like to run a business or to start a startup. He said, um, back, I think it was from the art of war, some book like that. Um, but basically there was this military leader and they were going off to war. Um, and in order to get there, they had to get on boats and basically sail over this big, uh, big ass sea. And then when he got there, he turned around and he told all his commanders to burn the boats. He said, burn the ships. Mm. So that he basically forced all of his, uh, soldiers to look forward and not to look back and yeah, what to win or die. They had no yeah, escape. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, you have to basically make it work. Um, and that's something that that's kind of really, you know, stuck with me for forever. And, you know, when things get tough for, for many of us, I'm sure um, it's very easy to, to fall back into, well, what if it doesn't work, what will I do? Um, and I think oftentimes that's the difference, you know, between those that crack it and those that don't. Um, anyhow, so bit of useless information for you guys. <laughs> but, <laughs> sorry, I know. But um, anyway, I'd like to shift gears and talk a little bit around um, the the relationship or the seemingly um, apparent connection, at least in my view, between being in a marriage with like my wife behind us. Um, and in business, oftentimes, you know, guys describe their, their business as their wives, you know, my other wife or whatever the case might be. Um, now you are in a unique position because, you know, obviously you're in sick, you know, running a seven figure business, helping relationships, basically, you know, go from strength to strength, I guess. Um, so I thought what might be an interesting thing to explore with you is, um, are there any interesting insights or similarities that stand out for you between personal and business relationships? Some. What I noticed when I was single and I was dating was that you should top grade your relationship partners. What I mean by that is there's a book called Top Grading, mm -hmm. which is a book on how to hire great A players, like people who are responsible, who uh, you don't have to tell them what to do because they figure it out and they, and you don't have to like remind them because they're on the ball and they take initiative and they care and, you know, they wouldn't ever hand in second rate work. 
um, businesses are built on the people inside them. And this is an incredible book. It's a bit bulky and it's probably easier books to read. It's like this fucking thick I got on my bookshelf there. I hate those books. And I, yeah, yeah, I know. I never read Such them. a lot. Uh, <laughs> I get my friends to read, tell them to, to like, tell me the gist of it. Um, <laughs> what I learned from that book, I started to apply in dating. And I realized that, so, so what makes this book unique about hiring is they get you to do extensive interviews. Two people interviewing the same person. You're asking them about their history. Tell me your very first job when you were 14. Next job when you're 15. Next job when you're 18. Next job when you're 19. Next job when you're 20. And like you go through 20 jobs. And what you're doing as the interviewer is you're looking for the patterns. And then you ask them, why did the job end? And you listen for what they say. And if they say things like, ah, oh, my boss was an asshole. You know this person's a victim and blames. And you don't want them in your company. Like I'm, just, I'm giving like really just... Uh, I'm, I'm butchering the process here, but that was the essence of it. You can tell a lot by understanding people's patterns about how responsible they are. And you won't see it if you just ask them about one job, but if you uh, ask them about their whole job history, the patterns start to emerge. Um, so, Sorry, is that your wife? My She's, wife, yeah. Trying to come say hi to the yeah. world. Ah, come say hi. <laughs> She's camera shy. Hey. She's camera shy. <laughs> Sorry, Bruce, um, you were saying. Uh, so, basically, uh, I realized that choosing a good relationship partner should do the same thing. When you're on a date, you want to find out, tell me about all your ex-boyfriends. Tell me about all your ex-girlfriends. Um, why did, why did, why did you break up? What happened? If they go, oh, he was just an asshole. And he was like, da, 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 da. you're like, oh, that's going to be me one day when she's telling a story to her friend, her next boyfriend. Oh, my boyfriend was an asshole, you know, like, uh, or, and you start to see, you start to see as you start asking people about their patterns, who they really are, because you're making a lifelong commitment here in a relationship and in a business, it's going to often be a lifelong commitment too. You really want to, uh, uh, you know, be sure of who you're hiring. And you usually don't have the bandwidth um, to, you know, get to know these people so quickly. Uh, it takes a long time for people's true colors to show. Yeah. So the quick way to do it is just ask them about the job history and ask them about the critical moments. And what you're looking for Excellent. is, are people blameless or are they self-starters and they take responsibility and the same can be said for relationships and that was useful for me the other thing i've learned through working now with hundreds of couples like i'm over 300 couples i've worked with now is that unless you put your relationship first your business will suffer and your relationship will suffer first your relationship will suffer and then your business will suffer mm. um, your relationship has to be first in your life it's going to be your number one priority doesn't mean your partner has to be the number one priority but the relationship i always think of the relationship like a baby a third entity mm. and that it needs nurturing when it's not, uh, when you're not feeling connected to each other and you're not feeling securely uh, connected and you're not feeling emotionally safe and uh, you're fighting, that level of disconnection causes so much anxiety. Literally, your fight or flight mechanism gets activated. The brain starts releasing all the cortisol stress hormones into your blood and you can't focus at work as well. You won't be as effective. Um, everything will suffer. I have a lot of, I work with a lot of entrepreneurs who in failed marriages. And one of the big reasons is, is that they, they work so hard in their business. They think business should come first. And they're like, when I'm successful, then I'll have time for the family and my partner fully. Yeah. And eventually their partners have affairs or leave them. Mm. Your, your relationship is your soft place to land. It is your safe harbor. It's your safe haven or it should be. Um, and in that kind of relationship, there's been, I'm going to call it a securely connected relationship or a securely functioning relationship. The research shows these people make more money, people in secure relationships. They live longer. They report higher levels of happiness. How is this possible? They're not stressed as much. 
there's less cortisol flowing in their brain. So they, they're in fight or flight less. And so they're in joy more. The reason being is they've got somebody who's got their back. They've got a partner they can lean on, they can depend on, they can need, and their partner needs them. And they are an interdependent system that, that sometimes they're dependent on each other. Other times they're independent. And the worst thing you can do for a marriage is do the independent thing where we're like, you're responsible for your feelings. I'm responsible for my feelings. Mm. You know, you're responsible for your money. I'm responsible for my money. Um, the other worst thing you can do for your man- marriage is the dependent thing where you go like, you know, you can't even look after yourself. But once you've transcended dependence and then transcended independence, there's a stage above that that I teach couples how to embrace called interdependence. Mm. In an interdependent relationship, you're functionally dependent on each other in a healthy way where the two of you together are stronger than each of you are individually. Like the, the unit that you create together as your team is way more powerful than any other power that each of you have as individuals. And uh, that for me is the power of relationship. And one of the greatest things you can do as an entrepreneur for your business is make sure your relationship works. Mm. And uh, cue the advertisement music. And should you want to find out more about how to do that, leveredfacefight.com. But I totally, totally resonate with what you're saying. Um, and I'm sure many entrepreneurs either in marriages or potentially with failed marriages can completely understand and will totally agree with what you've said. Um, because, you know, what's the, I don't know if I'm being corny now, but there's another saying where, where it's all around, you know, behind every successful man, there's a woman. And, but for me, the modern take on that is, is a, a, a successful personal relationship with your partner, because, you know, another thing that's come through in the interviews that I've done is that you need a support system. You can't do it on your own. Uh, well, the large, like 99% of people can't do it on their own. Um, and it's, but you know, I think the the bottom line there is that it's, it's easier. It's more fun. It's more rewarding if you can share and actually, you know, work together in terms of, um, you know, supporting each other. Like you say, there's that interdependent kind of stage, right? Um, yeah. So, um, let's talk about goal. Can I qualify one more thing just before? Yeah. Yeah. um, When I share this with entrepreneurs, the usual response that I may get is like, but if I put my relationship first, my business will suffer. And my response to that is actually, no, it won't. And it doesn't take a lot of time to put your relationship first. It might only take five minutes a day to make sure you're connected. You're spending time with your spouse over dinner and they've got your full attention. Most women, what they're looking for and they never get from most men who are entrepreneurs, of course, there's uh, you know, plenty of female entrepreneurs. Mostly it ends up, the couples that I work with, the men are the breadwinners and the women are raising the kids. Um, and when, what I hear from the woman all the time is what I want most from him is his presence. Mm. And all you need to do is give your relationship your presence. And that applies for men and women. You give it focused attention like your business it doesn't take hours a day to put your relationship first. And putting your relationship first doesn't mean you neglect your business. It means when you need to, the business comes second and you fix the relationship. Like if you're disconnected and you've had a fight, you don't go to work and go, you know what, I, I, I've got a meeting. Yeah, you don't exactly you hit, you don't hit the ground running, put it that way. <laughs> yeah, you cancel the meeting if you can, obviously if you can. And you say to your wife, we're sitting down, we're going to figure this out. Mm. And then when you could do go to the meeting, you're feeling great and you're feeling empowered. You've had fantastic makeup sex and, you know, you rock the thing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Goal mechanics. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> which, which was actually a great sort of segue into my next question, which is goal mechanics uh, orientated. Um, you and I both know, you know, when we first met and for a long time after that, we, we discussed at length, you know, big goal and the role of, of the big goal in kind of achieving things in life and in business. I wanted to ask you, what big goal or vision do you have for yourself in life and in your business? Hmm. This is an interesting one because I I don't really know how to answer this in the way I usually would have answered it, but I definitely have an answer. And the answer is to die having given my gift and fulfilled my purpose on this planet. I'm not sure what my purpose is yet. I know right now I have a purpose. It's my purpose for now, which is helping couples. And it might be end up being my purpose till the day that I die. I hope it is because I'm really enjoying it. Um, I, where I'm at in my life, I'm only really interested in not wasting my time on this planet, <laughs> you know, making sure that I use my time as effectively as possible to have as much fun as I can have and help as many people as I can help so that when I'm on my deathbed, I go, job well done. You, uh, you know, you did what was required. Yeah. Let's graduate to the next step called you the may afterlife. Enter. <laughs> you may enter. <laughs> it's more like I, I realize I've been given a gift. And it's, it was a, a, I've earned a gift. And it's a gift that I earned through a lot of hard work. It's the gift of knowing what I was born to do. And that's to teach and share information with people. Um, many people don't have that. And I spent a lot of time looking for it. And I was lost before I had that. And about six, seven years ago, I had a midlife crisis when I moved to the Caribbean. I was living in the Turks and Caicos. And fortunately, I had enough passive income not to be able to work. And so I spent three years just kind of figuring out my purpose and exploring. And I ended up getting into a relationship and life led me into my purpose. Mm. And I was so grateful not to feel lost anymore. I made a promise that I would never take my purpose for granted. Mm. I would never forget how uh, happy it makes me, or I'd never forget how unhappy it is to not have a to purpose. To not know, so, yeah. Yeah, to not know. And so I'm like, I feel like I'm so grateful that I found something that lights me up. And uh, my mission is not to take it for granted. And so I want to, I want to, honor that gift that life has given me by doing the best job I can mm. in fulfilling it. Mm. So it feels like an obligation or a labor of love. Yeah. Uh, it is a labor of love. Uh, but you know, I think if you, if you, I love what you said there around, and I think it's an important distinction, a distinction. A lot of people say, Oh, well, you know, you must identify the gift that you've been given. Uh, but like you said, I actually more tend to, to kind of fall on the other side of the fence where it's, you earn your gift in the world, you know? Um, and that only comes from trial and error and trusting in life and go and taking the hard knocks in the chin. Um, otherwise, otherwise, how do you know what gift you've been given? You know, yeah. and, and you can't read your book and find your gift. You can't, you know, meditate yourself into your gift. Or you might, you might get some insight and meditate yourself into your gift after, you know, 10,000 hours of meditating. Mm. But uh, <laughs> not all of us are 10,000. Or you might just be really good at selling shit. Then in that case, yeah. that's your gift. You know what I mean? Well, that leads us into wealth dynamics because yes. it's all about finding your gift as an entrepreneur. Yes. So I'm um, going to hijack your, your goal mechanics for a second. <laughs> and let's talk about wealth dynamics. Okay. 
So when I was a motivational speaker, I discovered Roger Hamilton's work, and he's love his stuff. Studied. I mean, I love his stuff. I'm such a fan, and um, he followed me on Twitter great. the other day. Yeah, awesome. I was like, holy he's shit, a good guy. Roger. <laughs> yeah. And uh, after studying his stuff, I was so blown away. I said, Roger, like you're like the smartest man I've ever met in terms of entrepreneurship. And so to this day, I still think he's the smartest uh, uh, mind in entrepreneurship that I've ever met um, or that I know of, in fact. Mm. And um, an opportunity came up to be trained to teach his stuff and need seminars for him. And I said, dude, I'll do it. So uh, I got trained. I did that for a while. And the essence of the system is that there are uh, Carl Jung identified eight personality types and he studied personality typing and the I Ching, which is the oldest book. Uh, um, outside of the Bible or something. Yeah. Exactly. I think even beyond the Bible. Mm. Um, it's uh, like uh, 10,000, whatever. I don't know. I'm sucking the bottom. I thought like, you don't know how it's old it is. It's very old. Um, <laughs> it's very old. And uh, <laughs> it turns out that each of us has natural abilities. And our natural abilities are in alignment with our personality type. So personality type A, for example, has a natural ability to sell. Personality type B has a natural ability to uh, lead teams, their leaders. Personality type C has a natural ability to create systems. And if you don't know what your natural abilities are on your personality, you know, because you don't know who, what your personality type is, you're going to run around listening to people who tell you you should be doing C when you're actually an A person mm. and you should be doing A. And you'll wonder why you fail and fail and fail. And I think half the failures, or maybe more than half the failures I see out there in the world of entrepreneurs failing is because they're doing the wrong thing. They're not doing their thing. They're doing the thing. It's like writing with your left hand. I'm right-handed. I can write with my left hand, but it's almost illegible and it's embarrassing me bad. Mm. And if I was to, uh, uh, you know, write... A book with my left hand, nobody would be able to read it and it wouldn't sell anything. Um, so don't write with your left hand, is yeah. the moral of the story. Write with your right hand. And in this case, you've got eight hands, um, eight possible hands, and you're best at using one of them. My other two, my other six are down here, and I'm like, it's an obvious thing. <laughs> um, <laughs> anyway, so the eight different types are what he calls the creator, the star, the supporter, the deal maker, the yes. trader, the accumulator, the lord, and the mechanic. Yes. And each of these is a different way of making money. Mm. And um, I actually ended up building a website dedicated to uh, promoting Roger's stuff. And if any of you want to take the test, um, you can go to mywealthdynamics.com, mm. mywealthdynamics.com, and uh, I'll get paid a little commission from Roger. You can go buy it directly from his site, but you don't get a whole bunch of bonuses. I give you like, uh, I don't know, $100 worth of bonuses some of my own products in there and great, really great bonuses. Go check that out. And you can take the test. It's $97. Um, it's an expensive test, I know, but the amount of money you will save and heartache and pain you will save mm. by following the path that's mm. natural to you mm. is the best $97 you'll, you'll mm. spend as an entrepreneur. And I like, I could rave about wealth and I'm not, not just because I get a commission for selling it. I mean, I don't get a massive yeah. commission. For not, selling like it. <laughs> not like you care. Not like I care. Yeah. Um, you know, in fact, if you feel better, just go to Roger's just go site. To Roger's site. Yeah, site there you go, guys. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm not trying to promote it for financial gain. It's so good. I, I don't think I'd be where I am if I didn't know that I'm a creator profile. Yeah. Um, you know, it's interesting. I remember, geez, it's funny. I remember back in like, that was like, I don't know, 2009, somewhere around there. It was many years ago. And uh, I did the test as well. And I remember you did it and you were a creator. What would you say that I am? Mechanic? Yes. <laughs> that's unbelievable 
It's unbelievable that you know that. Um, uh, I mean, I know the system. And I know you're, you've got the introverted side. I know you're intuitive. So you're going to be the top of the square of the wealth dynamic square. It's not that hard. See, it's self-evident. <laughs> this is what we're talking about, guys. So, yeah, um, I remember that. Um, a fascinating guy to, to have, you know, uh, to attend one of his talks as well about this whole concept of the eight paths to wealth and, you know, of, of the eight paths, everybody has one, which is their fastest way to wealth. So that's the whole, the whole proposition. Um, yeah. So thanks for picking that up. And that's, uh, that's a really great piece of advice. So here we go. I know you've got some kite surfing to do. Uh, we've totally overshot our time, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> I know it's awesome. Um, so, I'm going to hit you with some rapid fire questions. Okay. okay. Um, just to get through, I want, I want to kind of get through the, the sets of questions that I had. Um, yeah. So if you can just rapid fire, you know, yeah, and have to sure. be, I'll, I'll not, stop rambling in other words. Thanks. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So here we go. Rapid fire questions, breeze music in the hot seat. What's the toughest decision you've ever made in business? Mm. So much rapid fire. <laughs> um, quitting being an entrepreneur. I'll give you the 30-second version of what I mean. I don't think of myself as an entrepreneur. Really? I don't like starting businesses. I don't like building startups and companies. I don't want to do that. I don't want to be a Richard Branson. At one point, I thought I was an entrepreneur. I wanted to be an entrepreneur because it looked good. The truth be told, I'm not an entrepreneur, actually. I am self-employed. I run my own company. I have staff. And I teach. I work doing what I love every day. And, I, and starting businesses and building businesses that produce passive income is not my passion. For some creative profiles, they love that. I had to tell the truth to myself. And give, my ego hated it because mm. I was, you know, I like to think of myself as an entrepreneur. And I was actually, I'm not, I'm not, I'm an employee in my own company. Mm. Um, and that's very different from being a startup entrepreneur who goes and raises funding, takes companies public. Mm. Those are what I think of as like the real entrepreneurs. Mm. Um, that doesn't take away from the value I add and, and, and what I do. It just means I'm not in that category in my mind mm. and I want it to be. And the minute I let that go and started doing what I love, it all took off for me. Mm. Awesome, mate. Um, Okay, next one. Who do you secretly admire in life and in business? Nobody, because I don't keep secrets. I'll tell them. If I admire them, I will like be the first to find them and say, dude, I think you're freaking amazing. Please can I work for you for free? Um, uh, but the people I, I admire in business, obviously Branson, he's been one of my heroes because he's managed to build businesses with thought, love, integrity, caring, that make a difference and they make a shit ton of money. Mm. Um, so Branson's definitely one of my heroes. Nelson Mandela is a different kind of business hero for me mm -hmm. um, in that he was in the business of politics and also brought love to it. And I'm a lover. That's why I do what I do in my business and love it for his fight. So those kind of are why those guys are my heroes. They're lovers too. Fantastic. Thanks, Steve. <clears throat> okay, so third question. What has been your single biggest failure in business and what did you learn from it? I thought about this when I skimmed through your questions. I was like, I don't, I can't think of any, like I can't think of any failures. Like I've lost money um, trusting the wrong people. And I've learned not to trust people until they prove themselves like with valuable things. Um, 
probably my biggest failure, and it's still my biggest failure, actually, is doing it myself. I'm relatively capable, so I can do most things relatively well, which means I tend to do it because it's quick and easy. Oh, just reply to that email and get it done. And delegation is my weakness. It's my biggest weakness. Mm. And uh, so that's what I'm working on actively now is mm. delegating more and more. Mm. Okay. I suppose you have to when you get to a business of your size, eh? Yeah. I mean, exactly. And I also, like a couple of years ago, 18 months ago, I spent three months living on my motorcycle, riding through 15 countries in Europe, running my business. I couldn't have done that mm. if I hadn't got insanely awesome systems. That's probably, well, I'll save that. You asked for one answer. And I'll <laughs> That's funny enough. I was going to talk to you about systems automation and outsourcing and delegation and so forth. But I think I want to keep it on point around the psychology of business. Okay. Just for this show, okay. we might do a second one or follow-up show, um, you know, in a couple of weeks or whenever the time's right. Okay. Um, second last question. If there was one piece of advice you would give aspiring entrepreneurs today, what would that be? Take your wealth dynamics test. Like find out who you are. Um, don't try and if, if making money feels really, really, really hard, you're doing the wrong thing. That would be the first thing. And I know you only asked for one, but rapid fire Two, get a mentor, just get some kind of mentor. Three, don't go to university. You're going to waste your money and end up in debt. Um, four, make sure whatever you're doing, you enjoy doing it. Don't do it just for the money. That's nice. Okay. Thanks, dude. <laughs> Finally, um, before I let you go reluctantly, <laughs> um, how can we keep in touch with you? So I know that we mentioned love at first fight.com. Um, outside of that, are you on social media? Is there an email address? Um, who knows? Yeah, I have a Facebook fan page, but I'm not really a big Facebook um, user, to be honest. Um, my email address is bruce at loveatfirstfight.com you can just email me there or go to loveatfirstfight.com and click on the contact form and there's a contact form that will be sent to me and uh, I reply to every email um, I may take time because I reply to every email it means I'm often doing emails and it takes time but I, I, I like to have a personal relationship with my fans with my clients um, and I get joy out of it because yeah. I guess like you said earlier I'm a people's person yeah um, but social media, I just found like people bragging about their life. Facebook, I enjoy to stay in touch every now and then and to look at pictures of pretty motorcycles and pretty guitars. Um, but that's kind of all I really use it for. <laughs> Bruce, uh, friend, thanks so much for your time. <clears throat> really enjoyed exploring uh, the subject of the psychology in business. Hopefully, um, you know, our viewers have stuck around long enough. Uh, it's been just over an hour, so it should be lunchtime bite-sized material or at least Sunday lunch or something like that. Uh -huh. um, yeah, so um, really, really grateful to have you um, share your opinions on life and in business. And uh, yeah, uh, always here for you anytime and wishing you all the best in whatever you do, not like you need it because you just keep hitting hits after hits. Hey, I'm human. <laughs> I No, no, no. That's all you see. Yeah, you yeah, see no. all the fail, the falls, the falls, the falls. It says that in the intro. It says that in the intro. But, uh, and hopefully, yeah, hopefully I'll bring my, my gorgeous wife and my, and my, my little one yes, over to the Dominican Republic. And whenever you're back in Joburg, mate, um, yeah, mi casa, su casa, right? Thanks, dude. You're a great interviewer. You really got a gift for this. Um, great, thoughtful questions. And uh, I uh, very much enjoyed this. Anytime. Cool, buddy. Cheers, mate. Take it easy. All right.
Remember that the show is now on iTunes, so please head on over and either write us a review or subscribe for new episodes. And if you'd like to be an exclusive real-time participant on our next Digital Kung Fu live show, then visit our website at digitalkungfu.co.za forward slash live to get early bird VIP access. Thanks for listening to the Digital Kung Fu Show. If you'd like to check out more episodes and get access to our growing community of entrepreneurs working together to succeed in business, then please visit our website at www.digitalkungfu.co.za. Ever wanted to become a best-selling author? Well, I'm in the influence business and I work with business owners and CEOs and business leaders to help them scale their influence. And we do this as a team by helping you to become a best-selling author, sought-after speaker and industry influencer in only 30 days. My team and I have developed a system that delivers a best-selling book and a launch campaign 300% faster and 50% less cost than anyone else in North America. This system is incredibly efficient. One of my clients Clients Haiku went from a 2% share of voice globally to an 11% share of voice globally in only seven days. If you'd like more information, head on over to showworksmedia.com for more. That is showworks with an X.com.